0: Welcome to Optimal Self, the art of becoming the best version of you. Join us as we talk with extraordinary people who are on the journey to living to their optimal self. We dive deep into their minds to learn what they do on a daily basis to create optimal results. They share their tools and insights so you can implement them into your own life to become the best version of you. Here's your host, Jeremy Herriter. All right, welcome back to Optimal Self Conversations where we talk to incredible people who through adversity, grit, and persistence are forging the path to being the best version of themselves. They join us to give you the tools to do the same. We are in luck, y'all. I hope you guys set aside some time because we are honored to have my man, Mark Hennick, if you guys know him, if you guys are TED Talk fans, he has the TED Talk about the stranger who saved his life. It has been viewed millions and millions of times, and, long, and it is uh, watched one of the most watched TED Talks ever. Mark owns his own boutique mental health media consulting firm. He is in high demand, and y'all get him today as an international keynote speaker. And guess what? My man has his first book out, So-Called Normal and Memoir of Family, Depression, and Resilience. Mark, thanks for joining us, buddy. How are you, man? Thank you. I'm very well. Thanks for having me on. So let's get to it, man. We talked a little bit in the pre-show. You know, our audience is is so full of actionable items, man. I know that you deal with this, too, and everything that you're doing. There's nothing greater in the world for us as, you know, podcasters and and people who are out trying to help others, especially through our own stories, that we, when we hit somebody and they strike a chord and they actually do it, right? Where I'm not going to necessarily say, save a life, but I'm sure, you know, I know that we've had that, but you have truly had that happen. A stranger to save your life. So, Go as far back as you want, but let's uh, let's introduce the audience to where you are and how you got there. Yeah, so for me, I mean, my, my
1: story that I tell now, my life that I lead now really began when I thought it was going to end, when I thought it needed to end. I was 15 years old on the edge of a bridge in my hometown in Sydney, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada. Uh, And I had been struggling with mental illness by that point for several years. I think, you know, I I had my first suicide attempt or people first found out that I was suicidal when I was only 12 years old. But I think it was even struggling for for years before that. You know, I grew up in a broken home with uh, after my father left and we moved into an emotionally abusive and, and traumatic situation. When my mother and I were coming and going all the time. So I felt like I never really had this secure base, uh, this predictability in my life that kids, especially teenagers or becoming teenagers, really need so much. So I had started, my mental health had started to decline. I started to contemplate and then attempt suicide and not getting the help that I needed bouncing around in a mental health care system, in a health care system that wasn't designed to to help kids with complex needs like me. I felt by the end completely hopeless and helpless, like nothing would ever change. Uh, So after what uh, I have now come to think of as uh, yet another trivial trigger, because when you have that much inside you, when you're carrying that much, sometimes it doesn't take very much to tip you over the edge. So after another one of those triggers, I enacted a plan to go to this bridge where uh, it was a, uh, it stretched over an old steel plant in my hometown. And I went to that place because this steel manufacturing site used to be—it used to be the lifeblood of my hometown. You know, my big Irish Catholic family came to the island for that. My extended family, everybody that I knew, had some connection to the plant. But by the time I was growing up, it was just about to close. It was still open. Most of the buildings were falling down and abandoned. It was a—it's one of the worst toxic waste sites in North America, and I felt like no one person understood that that is exactly how I felt inside. So I connected with that space, with that, with that place so much. And I think that's why I went there. And I climbed up over the railing late at night on a Sunday night, almost midnight, and I was fully prepared to die. And what initially kept me there was this sense of finally having some say over my life, having some agency, some sense of control. And you know, the, what I had control over was whether or not I was alive or dead but I felt like I had no control over anything else in my life. So at least this, I would double down on this. And then I was interrupted uh, by a stranger's voice over my shoulder who came up behind me and in a very non-threatening way, he didn't suddenly rush up or anything. Of course, Uh, he approached the railing from a good distance away and he just talked to me. He introduced himself and I, I was hardly hearing anything. And one of the most enduring Concepts from my TED talk, I find, is this idea of the perceptual collapse that people experience when they're suicidal at the extreme. But I think it happens to lesser degrees all along the trajectory there, where it's this idea that these blinders come on you and you just shrink in uh, to this tight, dark, suffocating place where you can't see anything outside of just that moment. Uh, And I think that's very evolutionarily adaptive, right? You're focusing in on what you have to do, you're self preserving. But unfortunately, it blocks a lot of stuff out. So I actually didn't really hear a lot of what this stranger said to me. The only thing that I could see over my shoulder was that he was wearing a, a light brown jacket. And as we began to speak, though, I, I could tell that he wasn't a professional. He wasn't a mental health professional. He wasn't asking me about my diagnosis or my medications or my therapies or any of that stuff. He was just asking me about my life. And I remember feeling that that made such a difference for me to feel like somebody actually cared about my story. Now, this was juxtaposed by the fact that the cops arrived and crowds had gathered uh, to watch me on the edge of a bridge. And some guy shouted out for me to jump and called me a coward. And that's when I did let go of the railing. And, you know, thank God I had this stranger in the light brown jacket behind me the whole time because he grabbed me. He saved my life. And in fact,
0: he gave me my whole life ever since. Oh, my goodness. Okay, Like, first of all, I measure so much of my life. Like, I love to get the chills, like, you know, that when, when your hair stands up and two separate moments while you were talking, literally my hair stood up because I, there's so much that I believe the audience and myself can gather and learn. And your ability today to discuss it is really, really, it's very deep and it's very visual, meaning you describe this plant as this toxic place, as this, right? And and it's all beat down and worn down. And here is this 15-year-old boy that is also in this toxic place that is beat down and worn down. And those two things, and that's where you end up. And being able to, I just think of the people listening right now, it's like, wow, how many times do we do that, right? Right. How many times are, are what we feel or what we're telling ourselves, right? This internal narrative that comes upon us, the words that we use with ourselves, and yet we then latch on to or we find either that type of place or those type of people. Because now there's somebody like me or, or in this place, it was it was an actual place, right? Wow. I, again, Thank you for sharing that. It's amazing. So what did you gather? Here's this guy that doesn't know you. And I thought this was another really important part that you made, Mark, is that in that moment, you had already been through mental health to therapies and talking to people who were supposed to be able to help you through it. And yet, maybe the person that did was not the trained professional. It was somebody who just simply cared without reason. He didn't have to care. He didn't know you. It's not like he was related or blood or there was nothing. He just simply cared enough in that moment, one, to stop, two, to engage, and ultimately to reach out and grab you. how has that sense affected your life? Here you are, because you're still young. Let's be clear. I mean at 15 even when we get we, even when we get that rebirth so to speak we're still very young and we still there's still a lot of 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 maturing to do so how did that change you then but what did you learn along the way
1: yeah you know when that stranger Reached out and grabbed me, and and look, he wasn't. Uh, it wasn't even just that he he was a kind person. Uh, he was also a, an incredibly brave person because he didn't know what he was doing. He was just some guy. He was he wasn't a, a paramedic or a cop or anything like that who stopped and and was trained to deal with this kind of thing. So he was probably terrified, just as scared as I probably was. But he did it anyway, and I think that was one of the first lessons that I took from that was to do things scared that that's okay. And when he reached out and saved my life, I, I, you know, I don't want to be Pollyannish about this. It's not like it was hallelujah. Everything suddenly changed and and I recovered and I didn't have depression anymore. And, but it was the last time I ever tried to kill myself. And for years, uh, for more than a decade, actually, after that moment, uh, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even realize that I, Oh, Hey, I, I don't want to kill myself anymore. Uh, and B, I didn't entirely realize what he had done for me. But when I left the hospital after, you know, what ended up being more than a half a dozen hospitalizations for for psychiatric care, when I left the hospital that time, uh, it was the first day of spring, and I left with a sense, just a seed, that I could have more choice in my life than I thought that I had, because I couldn't help but reflect, or I should say ruminate, because my my thinking patterns were still very, depressed and anxious at that point. So, so rumination or overthinking things was what I did. It's all I knew how to do. But for whatever reason, the target of that rumination rested on the image of these two men who were over my shoulder that night when I was on the edge of this bridge. You know, there was the guy in the light brown jacket, sure, who was talking to me, connecting with me, getting to know me, eventually reached out and saved my life. But there was also that other guy on the sidelines. The police had set up barricades. Uh, There were police cars all around, and these crowds had gathered. And there was that guy on the sidelines who shouted out for me to jump. And he actually called me a coward. And it was that guy on the sidelines who, in some ways, motivated me as much as the stranger in the light brown jacket, because I decided when I left the hospital in some small way that I didn't want to be like that guy anymore. I didn't want to stand on the sidelines of my own life. I didn't want to have my circumstances dictate uh, everything about me. Instead, I could be more like that guy in the light brown jacket, that stranger who took the time to do things scared and to reach out. And, And when I traced it back, I think that was the moment for me that I realized I got to choose who I wanted to be, which of those two strangers I could be. So, Over the next dozen years of my life, I I used my story, telling my story to not just find my purpose. I don't think you, you find your purpose like it was discarded on the side of the road, but to build my purpose, to create a purpose for myself. And I used my struggle to do that. It wasn't a liability anymore. It was my resource that I could use this thing. So I I started uh, writing for newspapers and doing television and pursuing my academic dreams and studying more about this stuff. So that way I could someday give back to the world everything that that stranger gave to me. Well said, well said. I
0: talk about this all of the time in regards, because I think it's such a misconception that goes around the world today, and especially as vast as social media is, is that somehow some way... We're going to find ourselves. <laughs> and it literally, I'm just going to be frank. It pisses me off. I, yeah. I'm like, stop saying that. It's not about finding yourself. It's about creating. It's about building. And it's not about you being anyone different. It's about the truth. We talk about this all the time on Apple self because it's truly just about the, it's literally be the becoming the best version of you. That's it. Not your mom's version, not your dad's version, not your third grade teacher's version, not your best friend's version. None of that. He said we've, we've got to take back our control, right? And, and you saying, oh my gosh, in that moment, you said two things. One, do things scared because <laughs> guess what? No matter what, we're all going to be frightened. Why? Because we don't know the outcome and don't sit on the sidelines of your life thinking you should know the outcome before you actually take a step. Nope, take the step, go. Be scared, it's okay. I'm scared, right? Like, like I do these and I no matter what the moment I don't get butterflies and excited to have a con- this conversation with somebody is this is the day I stop doing it. Do I get nervous? Yeah. Why? Because I want it to be great. I want to offer i want to i want to give you a platform i want to i want your story to be heard i want people to to win from i want people to learn so that they can take it and adapt and and overcome and evolve right in their own lives and so that's where we're at right and here you said do things scared and i get to choose who i want to be i'm not going to find myself i'm going to create myself or you use the word build i'm going to build myself so how did you start building yourself what are the things That you did then, because as a young man and as, you know, growing into, you know, your early 20s and then going on, like, where did you start? And then what things have stayed with you even today? My mother used to tell me whenever I lost something, uh, and it was the most unhelpful advice
1: I thought at the time, if I lost something, she'd tell me to look in the last place that I left it. Well, if I knew where that was, then I wouldn't have lost it. But that advice has stayed with me over the years, because when I used to think that I was lost, that I myself was lost, I eventually came to the realization, well, why don't I just look in the last place I left myself? And that's when I really went back to my roots. That was part of what inspired writing the book was to go back and actually deal with my story, to deal with my stuff uh, and stop running from it, to stop chasing some purpose or some meaning. Uh, instead, go back and meet myself where I am, where I still am emotionally and psychologically, and then work up from there. And I think that's been my gu- one of my guiding principles throughout my life is to meet myself where I am currently and to lean forward into where I want to be not to run so far ahead that I lose myself again. so I think we need to be gentle with ourselves and to recognize where we are right now. maybe we can't do today what we did yesterday that's okay maybe we can do it again tomorrow we can get back there again. so I think recognizing your process and taking those those steps that's something that writing the book taught me
0: yeah, that's so well said I, again. You know, I hope my listeners, I want you guys to hear what he just said. You know, where did you leave yourself? And sometimes it's very difficult, right? Because we have to go way back at times. And sometimes we don't want to. Sometimes
1: yeah. going back to that place is, is hard. It was for me. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's called doing the work. You have to do the work. And, and that's hard, but that's okay. Go back. And then
0: you build from there. That's the beautiful thing because I'll share this with you because it's it's. It, their path my my father was an alcoholic drug addict very abusive not around much if at all uh, once my mom finally finally left and not until my 40s i believe and i mean i was 41 years old and i went on a retreat by myself didn't even tell anybody i was going sedona arizona and i'll condense it to this post retreat sitting in my hotel room waiting to, to for my airplane the following day so i had a night again by myself and in that room it dawned on me I, I started having this massive this really emotional connection like sobbing right i felt it come up my spine like almost like an anxiety attack like i felt like i was i felt like i was losing control and at the same time i was trying to breathe and and and, and journal and write like what i was feeling and one of the people that was one another gentleman that was there that we connected with and was kind of like my accountability partner that we could share with. And that was my safe place, so to speak, right? It was all safe there, but post leaving there, having somebody to, you know, when these things happen and here I am hours away from leaving there and everybody having a great time and we connected and, you know, a lot of emotion and all these things. And I was having this attack and I called him and I said, Hey, something's happening, man. I can't stop. (laughs) Right. I'm having that moment. And he said, he, he, he said, what did you, you know, what are you feeling? What is it? And I said, it's my dad. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, I want to tell him I love him. And my whole life, I said, hey, that I was fighting those feelings, right? Because when I had kids, I have two beautiful girls. And I thought, how could somebody not want to be around, right? How could somebody not want to be around this? How could somebody want to miss this, right? How, and, I, and it made me am- more angry, right? I was holding on. And he said, Jeremy, it's okay. It's okay. You have permission to love him. It's okay to love him. For all these years, I'm getting chills again. All these years I've been holding on to not wanting to, right? And fighting it. And again, feeling it and having that permission, just like you, like what you were saying is you, you have to go back. Just so you're clear, like I haven't been around. I mean, I mean that's like a five-year-old, four-year-old little boy, Here I was, forty-one, with multi-million-dollar businesses and running. You know what I mean? Like all kinds of success, professional athlete, and you know, I just came off a win at the at the CrossFit Games at my age, like all kinds of cool shit happening. And yet, here's this little boy that that needed to just say, I just needed to tell him I love him, and and it's okay, and know that it was okay to love him, right? Because I was fighting that feeling. So I, I I love the way that you've explained, right, where did you leave yourself, go back, and then build from there. Because now I can build that little dude up because he's still in there, right? That 12-year-old Mark is still in there. That 15-year-old Mark is still in there. But how we build from there and where we get to is our truth, right? Well, I, I like how, too, you're, you're really
1: drawing attention to the complexities and, and overlapping nature of our emotions. You know, I think we're we're so conditioned by Hollywood or social media or whatever to think that emotions are black and white. Of course, that's actually a, a key sign that there might be something wrong if you're thinking in black and white and feeling in black and white all the time. Emotions have layers and complexity, and sometimes we can't help who we love. And you know, you can love and hate somebody at the same time. You There's all this mess in there. And I think that's why so many people, too many people, just say, I'm not going to do that. That's too scary. It's too hard. I'm going to work myself to death instead. I'm going to drink myself to death. I'm going to do all these other things that distract me from what I'm feeling inside. And I think if more people got in touch with, with that truth, with that reality, that we're all running from something. Then they would build some more empathy for people who, are, who feel like they can't get out of that place, who feel like they're stuck and trapped in that cave and they don't want to be there anymore. I think that's what helps us to understand what that experience might be like.
0: Hey, listeners, it's Jeremy. Just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. And I wanted to take a quick break from the episode and remind you that at www.optimalself.today, You can gain access to our free, did I say it, free Identity Creator course, plus right now two bonus downloads that will forever change the way you go to bed and wake up in the morning. Did I mention that this is all free? It is for a limited time. Thank you guys again for listening. And again, the website is www.optimalself.today. Now let's get right back to the episode. Mm. Yeah, I, I, it's so true, and you know, they—I I don't even remember who said it. So if if you do, put it in the in the in the chat or in the in the comments. But it's basically the the worst prison you could be in is the one you don't know you're in. Yes, and we're building that prison ourselves by. A lot of the thing, a lot of our internal narrative that we're not sharing, that we're that we're afraid to deal with, that we just keep planning another bar and another bar and another bar, and over the years we've now created this prison that we're stuck in, and we don't even know that we're there. Yeah. But uh,
1: what I like about this too, though, I've i found this exciting. I think really from that last hospitalization when when I left the the hospital after that bridge attempt, was that I almost became. It became like a mission or a project for me to work on myself, and I was always looking for the ways in which I could say, oh, gee, I could have done that better. I started to develop this growth mindset, wherein my recovery became like a challenge that I had to do to overcome, and I tried everything. It motivated me to try things that I otherwise would never have tried, so... That's where I think we also need to take a look at the way we're currently doing things and challenge ourselves, interrogate yourself, ask yourself questions. Is this the best way I could have responded? Is this thing that I'm doing actually making me happy? Or am I doing it to run from something else? You know, I think we need to interrogate ourselves a little bit and and not be afraid to step outside of our usual
0: ruts that we carve for ourselves. Wow. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So part of our lives, right, are the relationships that we build. We've talked a lot, you know, already about the relationship we build with ourselves and being able to to go back to where we left ourselves, which could be a long time ago for guys like me, right? Five years old and here I am 50, right? So, um, you know, that could be scary. But what about the people around you, right? So and I want to go specifically to, cause we've, we've only referenced him as the guy in the brown jacket, right? The guy who, who engaged you, the guy who asked questions and ultimately reaches out. So how has he played, or let me ask it this way. Has he played a part in your growth and, and future, or was this a one-time deal? Yeah. You know, I
1: I had for years uh, credited that stranger unconsciously uh, with motivating me, or I think he was just always in the background of my story. And then it was, you know, quite a few years later, a dozen years later that I had achieved some relative success. I had done the TED Talk in which I talked about this stranger who saved my life. I was working as a mental health clinician at the time. I was working with 16 to 24 year old kids who were dealing with mental illnesses. Uh, trying to help them navigate the system. Because again, this is what I, I needed. So I wanted to be the person that I needed. And then I started to have this feeling bubble up in me, I think for, for several years, really. But after the TED Talk, where um, I started getting flooded with messages from people all over the world, especially young people, because this talk went viral like right away, pretty much. And people started telling me that I was their stranger in the light brown jacket, that they had gone on to, the, on to Google to try to Google ways to kill themselves. I heard this at least a dozen times. They were Googling ways to kill themselves and they came across my TED talk and it helped them and they stopped. And rather than feel the gratitude that I feel now for being part of people's story in that way, I felt this overwhelming imposter syndrome because I didn't even know if my story was true i didn't know if it was real i didn't know who this guy was i didn't even know if i just made him up in my mind as kind of a self-protective way to make my story make sense so that's when i got this urge i guess that's the best way i can describe most of the big things i've done in my life i just get a motivation i don't know where it comes from sometimes and i just follow it (laughs) i think it's an impulse control issue maybe i don't know but um so i go off on this mission I, i realize i need to find this stranger who saved my life because he 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 didn't just give me my life in that moment. He he gave me my life ever since. And so I I uh, tried to go the traditional route. I I talked to some journalists. I talked to uh, the police uh, at the time. I asked for my records. I pulled all my medical records, and I couldn't find any record of him. But by this point, I'd been I'd written for newspapers all across North America. I'd been doing more and more television. Uh, I realized. I already have been living my life publicly, uh, and this is a skill that I've been developing for years. Why don't I use this skill to try to complete this part of my story? So I asked a producer at uh, I Live in Canada. So uh, Canada AM uh, was the kind of the equivalent of our Today Show uh, at the time. It was Canada's most watched morning news program. I emailed a producer that I knew there had already been on the show a number of times. And I asked uh, if I could come on the show and ask for the public's help in finding this stranger who saved my life. Uh, So they said, cool. They invited me on. I came on the next day at like five o'clock in the morning or something like that. I told this story. They showed some clips of the TED talk. I went on my social media pages on Twitter and Facebook at the time, and I asked uh, for everybody's help in finding this guy who saved me. And sure enough, it didn't take very long because within an hour or two, I think I started like a flooded with messages anyway. The story goes viral all around the world, too. Uh, and then I get a couple of messages from somebody who says he knows who I'm talking about. Uh, and actually, he was his roommate at the time. Uh, he The stranger came home, told him all about what had happened. And then I get another message from somebody who said he was his brother-in-law, that the story's been around the family for years, right? I grew up in a small town. Everybody knew each other, even though we didn't talk about these kinds of difficult issues. Everybody knew what had happened. And then it turns out that A week before I went on national television to look for him, the stranger had actually seen my TED Talk for the first time, in which I talk about him. (laughs) And a week before I started to look for him and ask for the public's help to find him, the stranger had already written me a letter in case someday he ever found me. So they asked if they could send me the letter. I agreed. Uh, They emailed it to me, and uh, I saw it come in my inbox, and all of a sudden, I'm terrified now because I don't know. like, this changes everything. (laughs) But eventually, uh, I flick on the camera on my iPad because this is what normal people do or so-called normal people do, right? They record themselves at the most vulnerable times of their life. I flick on the camera on my iPad, and I read this email uh, of the letter that the stranger in the light brown jacket had written me. And his very first words to me were, hi, Mark, my name is Mike. And suddenly, just in that moment, this stranger having a name meant that he was real, that he was a real person, just like me. I didn't make him up. And why I think that was so powerful for me was that it validated my whole experience. He told me my whole story, but from his perspective, from his angle, he told me about how scared he was. He told me about how difficult it was for him after, that this was a real living, breathing, human being that i could finally meet so i asked him uh, to come up to toronto we flew him up to toronto where i live and uh we brought along television news cameras i figured we started this in public we might as well finish it in public too and i knew i needed to thank him so we met up in downtown toronto he walked right up to me and he just wrapped his arms around me again when we when we met i guess the second time just like he did the first time and I told him I had no idea how to thank him. I mean, how do you how do you thank somebody that gave you your whole life? And the best thing that I could think to do was to show him the life that he gave me, the life that he made possible. And I introduced him to my wife and to my then two-year-old little boy. And now he's my second little boy's godfather. And he hasn't met my two-year-old little girl yet, but he will someday soon. And I showed him where I worked and what I love to do. I, I talked to him about my passions and my interests and my hobbies and... <laughs> and i finally got to show him everything that i got to become everything that i didn't think that i would become when i was a sick struggling kid on the edge of a bridge that was the impact
0: that his bravery made in that moment wow what was that emotion like for you where did you feel that like cuz i'm getting it like, like my my heart like to be honest my chest is really heavy when you were speaking of it. And then it kind of radiated out through my body as I'm I'm hearing this. Cause again, hearing your story, I'm also envisioning parts of my life and story, right? I think that's what we do, right? We all learn, we learn in pictures. That's why they, you know, they tell you, you know, vision boards and looking at things like that's how we, so as you're saying that, and I don't know if anybody listening is having the same, the same, you know, feeling, but when you talk about that story now, where do you feel it? Now I feel it deep in my
1: heart, this emotional center, this completeness that I feel, this gratitude that I feel. At the time, I felt this tightness, this anxiety in my throat and in my in, in my gut, for sure. But then when I finally actually met him and and got to see that he's the same person he was then, actually, just a really nice guy who wanted to help and get to know me and you know he wasn't he wasn't a doctor he wasn't he wasn't condescending to me he didn't want to solve all my problems he's just a guy he was the most normal guy he'd ever meet mm. and i and that just made me feel so comfortable and complete that it 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 didn't take a savior to save me it took just a normal person and i think that's true
0: for all of us to a degree yeah there's there's so much There's so much beauty in again the kindness. You know, there's there's so much of of what we deal with in life today, where it's somebody's agenda or they're always trying to have, you know, there's they're doing it for with an expectation, right? They're doing it, you know, because they, you know, they want something in return somehow, some way. But in many cases, the things that are life changing, that are fulfilling, are the things when we can separate ourselves from the expectation or from a result, right? Is that when we're able to, to step in and actually just do things out of pure, with nothing in return? And I would urge a listener and things in your life today, right? When you're giving, when you're doing, ask yourself that question. Are you doing it with something in return? Are you doing, because because a lot of times when we have those moments of when we're disappointed, a lot of times it's because we had an expectation. And sometimes, and, and again, in a human environment, right, in a friendship or in a relationship, sometimes that person doesn't even know what that expectation is. And so they, they, it's impossible for them to fulfill it. Hmm. So the only place this this can possibly be is on that on the downside, right? Is because I'm gonna I'm gonna my, I'm going to be disappointed in some way. And so here this act is by this stranger in your world. And it was truly, I mean, again, nothing out of anything other than this is the right thing to do with no expectation. And imagine I, I gosh, the story's so beautiful. I, I so wish he was like gonna join us right now because I want to ask him the same question of what was your emotion like, you know, seeing Mark and for the first time. And so when you read his version, how did that sit with you? How did you see it? Like what were those emotions like when you got to see his version of that exact same moment in time?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, having bounced around my own, story inside my head for so many years by that point, I realized I hadn't even really been thinking about it from his perspective. I mean, I was so locked into myself and into my own view of the world, but really to, you know, he said in his letter that when he approached the railing uh, next to me and he looked over, it made him sick to see the world from my perspective And I think that was that was so powerful for me because I think that's what kept me there talking to him, at least until the crowds arrived, was because he was brave enough to stop and see the world from my perspective for him to get out of his own head because he recognized that I needed help getting out of mine in order to, to see outside of my present experience. So I think that was part of it. Also, you know, he reflected on how difficult it was for him after, that he never knew if I just went back the next day and finished what I'd started. And he lived with that for for more than a decade after. But then he also said that when he finally saw my uh, TED Talk, uh, that was the first time that he found out that I was still alive. He said he never knew that you could feel so proud of somebody that you spent so little time with. We were only together for a few minutes and we we impacted each other's lives in such a powerful way. I'd been working in mental health ever since this became that this became my identity. This is all I do. I have no other transferable skills. I do mental health for my whole life and I love it. I love every part of it. And he's been working in mental health ever since, too. He's been working at a crisis center, helping young boys uh, primarily through the same kinds of crises that he helped with me with. You know, he's. Heroes don't know they're heroes. They don't talk about how much they're heroes. They just are. They just move through the through life, move through the world, saving people's lives. And this is—I have—I have no doubt that Mike has saved far more people than just me. So you know, I I think that this is the way. This is—he's still the model for how I want to be. Just to move through the world presently, to hear people, to be with people, and indeed to care for people.
0: Yeah, man, that's, it, I couldn't agree more. I love that. I love every ounce of that because so much of us is so caught up and in, in our own head and in our own world. And we miss so much awareness and presence is so important. When you were saying that about, about, look, this was such a small moment in time, right? And then you're, you're, lives go separate directions and I don't know what happened, but I want to urge everyone who's listening to think, what are those little moments in your life that we're missing because we're not present? Yeah. This was an extreme, right? A young boy willing to take his life and uh, somebody stepping up to, I mean, (laughs) I don't even want to say stop it because that's not even the right and it's not, it's not the right word. It's, it's literally just somebody open enough to have a conversation and to say, hey, look, and you said it very well, Mark, is he took, he was seeing the world through your lens for a moment. And he was like, wow, this is difficult. Let me, let me stick around here a little bit because this is tough. So it reminds me of, we were on a, a coaching call with some, some optimal selfers and we talked a lot about intention. Right. A lot about being intentional in our world and in our lives, intentional with our words, knowing that every, the words that we say out loud matter because they're the ones that end up being back in our head, you know? And, and sometimes those are even worse, right? You're very aware because we take our road uh, down. And we had a lady on there and we, it was it was an accountability call. And so we've said, okay, what is your intention? Right. And, you know, we all want to have great intentions, like, oh, you know, I own a business, so I'm going to have 20 sales calls today, or I'm going to, you know, this, We you know, you go down this line of of it. And we got to her and she said, I'm going to make one person smile today. And I was like, again, I got the chills again, something so simple, but what do I have to do? to walk down the street, to walk into a grocery store, to go into my office, whatever that thing is. And if my sole intention of the day is like, man, I'm going to get one person to smile. And just your, what you were saying, and you were explaining, you know, these different perceptions and what we do. And here you are today working in the field that ultimately, because it's like, yo, my life got saved somehow, you know, I must give back, right? And not all of us have that moment yet. I think we all can, if we're aware and we look for it and, and we build it and we create it, I think we all have that ability, but why don't we just start simple mm. say, man, first, I'm going to start with, I'm going to smile today. Nothing's going to take that smile off of my face, but in return, I'm going to find somebody that I can make smile and how powerful that can be in here you are explaining and what'd you say 12 years later? It was that, that you finally got to meet this man. was that what it was? Yeah. 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 So 12 years later, so 12 years go by of this and he's feeling the same thing. Did he make it, you know, what happened all these things? And here you are, but yet in this moment in time, it changed the trajectory of both of your lives. I believe that, If we can create that type of awareness daily now, that we can have those moments with other people as well. And it only has to be a moment in time. That's it. That something that we do, something that we say, a smile on our face, right? A door that we open, helping somebody with their grocery, like little tiny things that we so take for granted that we could literally change the trajectory of somebody else's life. Well, and not only does it
1: start with small things, I think it ends with small things. There are only small things. And, you know, I've been around this space long enough now that you see in in, among public speakers in in coaching, I I imagine your your realm as well, Uh, certainly in business and among entrepreneurs, you see all these people with great big ideas about being rich and famous and, you know, being an influencer and, and all this big stuff. And then there's not much else below that. There's kind of like the big idea and then there's the person, but there's nothing in between, right? And I think what's lacking there is that that person who feels vulnerable, who feels that they want all these big things, they're not filling in the blank of what's actually missing. Where do they get the most value for themselves? What fulfills them? You know, if you were to focus in on one simple thing anything. You can learn this through mindfulness exercises as well. Focus in on one simple sensation, then intensify it, intensify it, focus on it, intensify it, and then absorb it. This is what we do with simple gratitude practices all the time. That small, simple act can change your life because you realize then that what you value isn't some external thing way out there or some mountain peak. You get to the mountain peak, sure, you're just looking for the next highest mountain. It's always over the cognitive horizon, the next big thing that'll make you happy. Happiness is right now. What if you look at your life and you challenge yourself to say, I'm okay? What would that be like? What if I don't need to go anywhere? What if I don't need to strive for anything? All that stuff is fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm ambitious too. I have goals. I want to do things. But what if I'm good? That's terrifying for some people because they don't want to rest in that core knowledge that they are okay, just as they are. But I think unless we have that, you'll never find happiness. You can get to the mountaintop. But if you haven't built that firm foundation within yourself, that core
0: true self,
1: then you'll never be happy.
0: Yeah. I find that as well. I, I mean, I'm because I'm a driver and I enjoy, I enjoy starting new businesses. I enjoy building them up. I, you know what I mean? Like there's all those things, but I think there is some truth to, to those are all well and good. But at the end of the day, you've got to be able to say, yeah, I'm okay. And I feel that too. So I love that you said that. And that's a great reminder, not just to them, but, but to me is to, to, to make sure that even though I want to build more, I want to have a bigger impact. I want to leave more. I want to help more people, right? You know, we, we've all had people touch us and I don't want to, I do not want to go to my grave with any of that knowledge that somebody else bestowed on me inside of me. I've got to get it out, right?
1: well and and all this ambition it's again, I want to reiterate it's a good thing it's a, you build things, create things, you know, one of my biggest motivators was that I wanted to build the systems and the society that I needed that didn't exist for me and i'm I'm doggedly ambitious about that, but until you can really get in touch with yourself, what's the point i mean you this is this is your why, this is why you're doing it, and you need to. I think have that core. I, I remember I was um, doing one of the many edits of my book, uh, and I wrote m- most of the book at, at uh, two Trappist monasteries. The Trappists are a, an ancient order or agent, of fourteen hundreds I think they're established of uh, Roman Catholic monks uh, who are cloistered. They live in in fraternity. Uh, and I used to go to that place because I realized I'm so single minded. Once I get locked into something, I can't have anything else interrupting that I just need to, I'm, I can be, get pretty intense when I'm focused on something. So I needed to go to this place without any distractions, monastery in the woods. That seems like a, about the, the most focused place I could go. And there, on one of these many editing trips, it was a, a Trappist monastery in upstate New York. I was walking up to the chapel uh, to do the chanting with the monks. I, I followed the monastic schedule. They chant six times a day, I think, every day, and then I would write in between. And so it was three in the morning, three thirty in the morning when we woke up. I was walking up to the to chant with the monks, and I saw a meteor, a shooting star, uh, streak across the sky, and I stopped on the edge of this highway in the middle of the night. Basically, you know, pitch black, no street lights because we're in the middle of the woods. And I had this instinctive reaction. I should make a wish. It was almost like this childlike uh, just instinct, this trigger. I saw a shooting star. I should make a wish. And then I paused for a minute and I realized I couldn't think of anything because I'm good. I don't eat anything. And that was, that was a moment for me that I realized that this book is, is great. It's a good project. It, it, I need to do it. But at the end of the day, I'm good with who I am right now. And I never had that before. So I think that until you reach that point, you, it's, it's hard to describe the
0: coherence that comes with, with being good with yourself. That's, yeah, something everybody, I mean, all of us continue to strive for and continue to work towards, right? Because we can, we can be fooled along the way. You know, there's so much out there that it's trying to tell you, you need the Lamborghini and the 1 million followers and blah, 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 blah. Right. So no, I love it. I love it. So speaking of the book. So here we are, right. The book came out in 2021, correct? Yep. Just earlier this year. Yep. Earlier this year. So I go back, I, I just, I take, I take us back to to the start of this conversation, this 15 year old boy and everything that's happened and all the things that transpired and now building you know, something that wasn't there for you so that people have that. How do you come to now? All right, let's sit down. Because if anybody's ever tried to, to write a book, oh my goodness, it is it is an undertaking of massive proportions. So what led you there? How did you get there? And and what what can our audience expect to get out of it? Because each and every one of them should go get it.
1: Well, thank you for that, first of all. And you're right. You know, it's it's a project that I think I needed to I needed to do this for me. Uh, And I think that's where it has to start. Why are you why are you doing anything, whether it's writing a book or doing anything else? So I needed to write this for me because I felt like so many other people had told my story. For me, right? And and much of my journey has been about trying to tell my own story for others, sure, but also so I could understand mm-hmm. it, so I could process it. Uh, you know, moving through my life and through my world with some of my childhood, a lot of my childhood mm-hmm. experiences, it turned out, just below the surface, bubbling ju- and informing everything I did and being called back on so many occasions. So I, know I, I knew I needed to go back and write the book in order to walk through that journey and process it myself in a way that takes the reader along with me. So, you know, that's what I did. And people write books for different reasons. And and but for me, it was a processing of everything that I'd been through and a, and a way to give it meaning. And I think that's what I learned most about writing the book is that nobody can give nobody can build the meaning for your life but you. And the nice thing is you actually Get to edit your own story as well. As long as you tell the truth, you get to assemble the pieces in whatever way makes sense for you. As Anne Lamott, the the writer Anne Lamott said, you own everything that happened to you. It's your story. How you string it together in a narrative that gives your life meaning and purpose is entirely your affair. And what anybody else wants to do with their story is entirely their business, too. So I think that's what I learned most from it. So, you know, it's been getting great reviews, thankfully, because it was a lot of work. So it's nice to see it, it being successful, too. That's the other side of the equation. But people can get it get it uh, on Amazon, where it's been a, a number one bestseller in a number of categories now uh, and still pops back up every now and then. Uh, it's also at Barnes & Noble and, and most other bookshops, actually, it turns out. I, call, I called it So-Called Normal, A Memoir of Family, Depression and Resilience, because I just assumed everything that I had gone through was normal. That's what everybody went through. And I learned by the time I wrote the book that there's no such thing as normal, <laughs> that everybody's just making it up as they go and everybody has their own frame of reference. Uh, and that's OK, too, because we can find commonality in that difference.
0: I love it.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, there's
0: no such thing as normal. <laughs> You're okay. Oh my God, I love it. I love it, Mark. Man, all right. This is the part of the show I do with every guest. I call it quick hitters. It's uh, it's been amazing, and quick hitters is, is is really simple. I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you a word, and I want you to say what it means to you, how it's been, wh- where it hits you in this moment, and the first word that I want you to I want you to look at is discipline. What does that mean when you hear that?
1: Discipline. For me, discipline is process and process leads to freedom. That's been my experience.
0: Beautiful. And the last one is impact. Impact. You
1: <laughs> you are the impact that you will have on the world. It's not necessarily what you create. Uh, you are what you create. So you are the impact.
0: Mm, you are the impact. Awesome, man. I I cannot thank you enough. Ladies and gentlemen, stop what you're doing right now and just rewind it and replay it because there's so much gold in there. And the thing I wrote in my notes that I starred and I circled and I saved for this last few seconds is you said you became the person that you needed right? I didn't go looking for somebody else. I wasn't blaming somebody else. I didn't expect the world or my city, state, county, country to be there, right? I became the person that I needed. Ladies and gentlemen, be the person that you need. And no one can tell your story, right? No one. Not only can they not tell it, but nobody else gets to write it. So get out there and write your story. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for your wisdom, man. And and thanks for just being so honest and true to, to what you went through and sharing it with the world, man. We all appreciate it. We're better because of it. Thank you. Cheers. All right, guys. Until next time, get out there and be the best version of you.